Hello, and welcome to Beheaded. This is Season 5, Episode 8. I'm Megan Moore. And I'm Elizabeth Black. We are in the thick of Renfair season. Oh, I love Renfair Huzzah! season. Huzzah! Huzzah, my lord. Good strike, my lord. <laughs> I love when they say that at the coin-making station. <laughs> I almost bought a coin this time. I didn't, because you know what? I try to limit myself to like one purchase a Renfair, and I think that's smart. Okay, so I got a black parasol, like a cute, yes, yes, lacy, yes. you know, old timey black parasol. Kind of gothic. I like it. Yeah. Very... And now I feel like I have to lean my like dress into the gothic realm a bit more. You can be the dark and I'll be the light. Okay. Because I have a cream colored parasol. What was that motion you just did with your hand? <laughs> when I said cream. Those, on the, like those of you on the YouTube don't want to see her. I was opening the umbrella with my hand. That is an open umbrella motion. It's also, <laughs> anyways, continue. Yes, I got a cute black parasol. It's really cute. Um, and again, I know I just said limit it to one purchase, but the next purchase was tiny, so it doesn't count. Uh-huh. Um, I've been looking at these for years, but they have these cool, like, I guess, marble stone oh, dice. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, those are cool, too. I literally talked about it, and they're so cheap it like there was 10 bucks yeah, like it's not like cool. but every ren fair i'm like i'm gonna buy those because we've mentioned this on the show before but we love playing Catan, mm-hmm. and they'd be the perfect Catan dice so they're almost like jade yeah i think they i maybe they are jade yeah. i i they just said stone dice and i was like yeah so i got those and that was it because i was planning to buy other purchases i was planning to buy a dress the right one will come to you i know it will speak to you it might be your hand-me-down. It might be mine is calling your name. That's fine. I felt a little guilty. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of like when someone like goes to the bridal shop and the bride doesn't find anything, but the maid of honor tries on a bunch of shit and then finds a wedding dress. I don't know if that's ever happened with anybody. This is not a real scenario. <laughs> Could you imagine how shitty that would be? Keep, keep telling your story. Um, no, so we, we've mentioned Pendragon costumes before. I purchased my first Pendragon costume in 2013, so it's now okay. been 11 years. Wow. Yeah, and it's actually been my measurement of my sizing, like my waist, and <laughs> like every January or so, it's like, okay, try to like... That's how- why she does dry January. It, it does help with fair season. It really <laughs> does. But I've been, I've been pushing the limits, and... Uh, we get older. You know, bodies change every seven years. Seven? Where'd you get that from? It's a thing. Your body transforms every seven years. Starting from like birth? Yeah. Like one to seven, seven to fourteens? I don't know how it works. I guess. No, look it up. It's a thing. Okay. Uh, Anywho, long story short, I bought, I didn't buy a full dress. I just bought the over piece because it's like a three piece garment. Okay. There's an over piece that has a corset front. Great. The corset is supposed to touch. And mine doesn't touch. I can make it touch if I string it up really tight on the corset. But then you can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't eat. I just burp a lot. It gets down all really. The, all, all, all the gas just comes up. I can't <laughs> I can't eat cheese fries. I don't enjoy myself. I'm just kind of like walk, hobbling around in tightness. And to be fair, when we were in Pendragon, because like I, we went there because I wanted to buy a new dress. And like I've had this cheapo Amazon dress for years, and I was like, it's time for me to get like a real legit Red and Fair dress. So we went there. To be honest, I didn't love any of the colors of the fabrics. Like, no knock on them. I just like didn't find anything that I like that like spoke. Well, to you're me. looking for something specific. Too. Yeah, you're going for moody Slytherin. I'm going Elizabeth for moody. Black. Like she I, wears yeah. green, greens, blacks, golds. Like I really wanted perfect a, for Arizona. Just yeah. like dark and hot. Really wanted that, <laughs> and and so I kind of was like, you know what. Maybe I'm just better off like looking elsewhere. Like, no offense to that. I yeah, love, I no, love Pendragon. Yeah, no, you gotta find what speaks to you. But then when you started talking to the uh, shopkeeper, and he, you were like, I'm too, I'm getting like too big for this. And he's like, No, you're not. And he just like it, squeezed you into literally, it. Literally, the, the night before, the seams on the side ripped and I had to like quick sew it together. <laughs> he's like, This still fits. He like, literally like squeezes me into it. I'm like, No, it doesn't. Like a movie. <laughs> I was like, I swear it doesn't fit. Make, make Megan was making these like golem sounds. She's like, <laughs> I was like, I felt like uh, Elizabeth Swan. Like, I can't breathe. 
<laughs> this is I'm told this is the latest fashion in London. <laughs> and like bless his heart, he did boost my self-esteem because he was trying to convince me to reorder in the same size. Like an and, extra small. And I was like, no, we are going up a size. I am accepting my fate. I am no longer gonna starve myself every January. And I'm sorry, like small is not a bad fate. Like. No, 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 it's not by any means. You go, yeah. Um, anyways, all that said, it's fun because you get to, like, pick out your fabric. Yeah. Um, I have always had, like, a rusty orange. I'm going, they don't have that. And I, I want something similar because I just love it. So yeah. I'm going for more of a red. Um, but anyways, yes, we'll, we'll size you up in, in the tattered, sweaty. I'm excited. Dirty, sewn up. Well, I'm going to. Ripped up dress. Dry clean it and potentially have maybe it. Maybe re-sewn. Re- yeah, re-sew <laughs> it maybe from all my rips and tears. That's okay. I like um, the memories. And I don't want you to just like throw it in the trash or give it to a Goodwill when it could oh go to. Oh my God, I wouldn't. I would keep your it. Your good friend. Honestly, I would just for the memories. But I do want to shout out Pendragon Costumes. They are amazing. Yes. Laura and Sean, who work there, amongst others. And then, of course, Mrs. Pendragon herself. We also um, have a vindication story. We do. But really quick, before the vindication. Oh. If you do go to Renaissance Festivals and you've ever come across Pendragon Costumes. Mm-hmm. So you can absolutely find them online. Pendragon Costumes. But it's yes. If you have a local Ren Fair, it's always better to buy local with them in person. Yes. Because in the end, at the end of the Ren Fair season, the different vendors and the different shops, they want to obviously appear very, I mean, they are, they're not just appear, but they want to be profitable at the fair so that they can hold on to their spot. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, anyways, if you have the option to go online, like, don't, like, shop. I'm like, oh, I'll just look online. Like, if you're there, buy, buy with them. Plus, you get the experience. You get the... You know, the Shans and the Lauras. You get the Shans and the Lauras. And yeah. you know, Laura and I might meet up for drinks. Like, I think I have a new best friend. Hey. But Laura, Laura fit me for my dress 11 years ago. And yeah. I see her every single year. I, I go in and I say hi to her. She remembers me. She's great. She's amazing. Yeah. So anyways, vindication story. Well, we got it. We had a good chat with her, but we did talk to, I, I guess he's the shopkeeper or the manager, yeah. Sean. And uh, it was so funny because... Of course, Megan, being Megan at the Ren Fair, like she's ordering her dress and then she's like, also, and then quickly just slides the business card across the You know counter. me with my business cards. Like savvy. Oh, you know, if you're interested in historical executions, and, he, and, and I kind of intercepted it where I was like, Megan, like we've gotten in trouble for this. We literally have been rounded up at this store specifically, so stop. And he was like, wait, no, what are you talking about? Like, I want this business card. Like, what do you mean you were rounded up? So we told him the story, which we've told you guys, like, seasons uh, many, ago. Many, everyone's heard this story. Many moons ago, but long story short, we, one time at the rent fair, were handing out a bunch of beheaded business cards, and they literally came to us in Pendragon. We like, were in Pendragon costume. Yeah, like, cor- yeah. cornered us, like, this, the rent fair security, and they are like, you girls need to, like, come with us. They like, escorted us they, out of the store. They it took was us very, away. Very, very humiliating. Very embarrassing. Low point in my life. So we told the shopkeeper that we're like, you don't remember this? Like years ago, maybe you didn't see it, but like we were taken out of your shop. And we and, were like, arrested in your arrested. store. As I'm wearing the outfit of your store that you like. It was yeah. Just like, ugh, and and cringe. he was like. That's bullshit. Like he was like He was know, mad for he us. He was mad. Thank he, you. He was like, that happened. That happened in this He's store. like, that happened in my store. They yeah. did that. Security walked you out for handing out a business card. And he said that happens all the time. Like people always exchange business cards and whatever. It's not like we were doing anything egregious. And I was we're like, not like selling you. a rant. We're not selling like protein powder. We're trying to find <laughs> other people who are interested in the same hobbies and interests that we are. We're not like Mary Kay ladies. <laughs> yeah. We're like actual conversation with someone being like oh well clearly you love history so right give our stupid ass podcast a try here's yeah. how you find us here's our qr code right so i did feel vindicated when um i love that yeah that he he was offended for us and he was offended it happened on his premises so and his in his territory so take away um, shop local and the storekeeper will have your back always yes. yes so go pendragon costumes we are a huge fan big fan uh, let's see what else is happening. We we ren fared. We successfully ren fared. No ren-fared. one got arrested. We ate chili fries and cheese fries, and yeah, we drank some wine and uh, and then some. <laughs> 
some more wine. And uh, that's kind of it. We that, talked about our purchases. It. Yeah, yeah we went with fantastic. Lisa and Emily, and we yeah. had a great little a gal's trip. We I had feel like every year we tack on trip. a new gal. Gir- girls run fair. Girls run fair. And shout out to Jake, who was our chauffeur. Thank, Thank you. Thank, Thank you, marketing manager. He drove Jake. us there. He picked us up, drove us back, took Lisa and I through Burger King on the way home. And we won at Burger. I know, I'm sorry, but we won because. Uh, they gave us someone else's order, and then we had to go back through the drive-thru. And you got another order. And then Jake ate that first order and then ate the second order, our <laughs> order. So it was a win all around. I gave up red meat for Lent, so I probably couldn't have It would have been a tease. It would have been. Um, <sighs> okay. I also did something fun today. I participated in the retrial of Anne Boleyn. It's exciting. Host. Oh, yeah, you sent me screenshots. Yes, I did. Hosted by the Tudor Trio, which is Dr. Owen Emerson, mm. which we are all friends with and we know and he's been on the podcast. BFF. Uh, Dr. Nicola Tallis and Kate McCaffrey, who we just love, love so that. much love from Heaver Castle. It was really cool. And they do a lot of things like this. Um, yeah, if you don't follow the Tudor Trio or if you, I almost said prescribe, subscribe. You could prescribe. But yeah, it was it was really cool. They do a lot of these things where it's like kind of like a week long event, mm. um, and they start off with like a really fun video that you watch, and they they send you some like recordings and content, and basically to like prep for the trial. Yeah, basically mm. we're the jury to retry Amblin. But it was cool because today was the um, the live Q and A Zoom interactive meeting. part. Yeah, and it's with the three of them. So I love that. Saw some friendly faces there. Saw some familiar faces, and it was just like a cool conversation. I. Just hearing it straight from them. In like modern time. Yeah, we had, there was a lot of really good questions and good unique questions and not just the typical like, have a six finger, like it was beyond that. It was like, people knew their stuff. Yeah, people knew their shit when they were talking about it. And I felt like I kept up. I felt actually like very well, I felt good about it. Well, good. I I know what, John Skip's like sermon, I know who that is. Like I I know what they're talking about. We've read a book or two on Anne Boleyn. So I've read a a couple. Fairly acquainted. So anyways, check that out. They they have more coming up. They're doing a Thomas Cromwell something. And potentially new research or findings from Owen. Potentially. So, Not my thing to share, no. but it sounds like there's Stay tuned. Sounds like there's more fun stuff coming out. So I love that. It's been a good historical week. The spring is always great for uh I our I mean I our podcast, but just Ren Fair stuff. Like I feel like we always find new good information in the spring. <laughs> Is that- the spring is thriving for us. We I'm, are now coming out of our habitats. We are emerging I, into the sun. I say that because I've I've hated what? on the spring before on this podcast. I typically hate spring. Why? I've already explained this on the podcast. You know, you got all the dumb holidays. I heard how you hated you, January. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, I won't get into okay. it again. Listen to our previous episodes. I'll go back. Every but way. this spring, and I feel like they're sh- they're shaping up to be periods of learning, and I like that. Hmm. And you know, I think we've got some more exciting stuff in the summer in terms of learning and things we're going to do. Yeah, and places we're we got go. things coming up. We so got more stuff going on. Stay tuned because more beheaded behind the scenes hmm. extracurricular content coming. Anyway, okay. Oh, really? Yeah, I won't. Uh, you know, was I it. there for that one? Also, you already agreed. So shut I up. I think I have a memory problem. I think you do. You're like, what did you buy to really share? <laughs> <laughs> I was with you through every purchase, and I commented. I actually remember all of it. But okay. that, you just have to remind me sometimes. That's okay. Mm. I think what I should remind you of now is what we're going to talk about this evening. What are we going to talk about this evening? Okay, I so, don't remember. I am so excited. We haven't done one of these episodes since season one, mm. but we are going to revisit mm. ancient Egypt. And I love ancient Egypt stuff. I'm so excited. Is there like an e- Egypt type song? Like, ding, ding, ding. like a virgin. <laughs> I don't actually know. What, oh no! What does I'm Egyptian thinking music of sound walk like, like an Egyptian. Egyptian. That's what I was thinking. Um, I don't know what Egyptian music sounds like. We could dig something up from like the Mummy movie. We'll find mm. it. We'll mm-hmm. see. Okay. Stay tuned for the outro song. We'll play with it. I also like this because we we tried this out um, once before. Oh. I never told you. I actually got negative feedback about this. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I forgot what season it was. Maybe three or four. We did Roman Colosseum. 
Wait, we like that episode. I like that. I like that episode. I got personal great feedback from that. Wait, wait, what happened? I had one person who didn't like it. Who cares about them? <laughs> but the where I'm going at with this is the style of the Roman Colosseum episode. It wasn't a specific person. It was more of a... We said that. Yeah. No, I know. And that's going to be this episode, I know. It's, too. It's intentional. That's where I'm getting at. It's intentional. Spoiler alert. We're not doing a specific person. We're no. going to do an entire situational scenario yeah. that would lead to execution. Because we have done group executions before. We've done, you know... Again, like Ro- Broom Hilda, like ten. Okay, don't even talk about that one. But uh, we we've done ones where it's not like, hey, this is the one person we're talking about their life and death. It's like sometimes a situational thing where it's multiple people or it's a group. There's a theme. Yeah, Roman Colosseum. There was not one specific victim. It was like this is the style of execution that happens in the Roman Colosseum. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Today is that type. I like of these style kinds of episodes because it leaves us more room for like storytelling of the era. And the execution methods in general versus like, I mean, we're talking about some some stuff that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. So I'm sorry we don't have one specific person to point to for you <laughs> I mean, today. we could talk about the one guy from The Mummy. Brendan Fraser? No, the, the guy at the beginning who t- who is The Mummy. Imhotep. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Love we him. Could, we could do his story. I and mean, we could talk about his execution, but that would be completely fictional. And we try to be a little... That's a great movie. A little more... To the point. Uh, but yeah, we, yeah. we asked some good stuff about that too because one of the documentaries we watched to prep for this was actually comparing um, the mummy movie to like real Egyptology, yeah, which is cool. So we're this girl's cool too. Dr. Colleen something. Well, we'll, we'll weave that in. Let's let's okay, weave sorry, that in as sorry, we go. Sorry, did I, did I get ahead of ourselves? Keep spoiling things. Let's just start from the beginning. In the beginning. There was the dawn. <laughs> okay. So I want I would like to start this because again we're not talking about one specific person we're Early talking life. about Go for it. We're talking about how Egyptians perceived kind of life and death, right? Focusing on the death because we are an execution podcast. <laughs> so, um I mean similar to a lot of religions and cultures, right? Like your deeds in life kind of dictate your afterlife. And so the Egyptians had one very firm belief that there is like an eternal afterlife. There's a rebirth of the soul after death. So depending on like how good of a life you led, you naturally progress through other stages after you die. And they very much tied everything back to the body, which is why we see like mummification being such a strong, uh, I guess, trademark of Egyptian society because they believed if you preserved the body, the body would be allowed to go through this like afterlife journey. Um, so their idea of a perfect afterlife is kind of like an ideally idealized version of Egypt itself. So imagine like, you know, you're, you're Egyptian in 3000 BC, like maybe you're a little bit poor, like maybe you don't, didn't have the best life, but there's this promise of a perfect Egyptian afterlife where you get to live like a pharaoh or like a king, you know, and you have this beautiful afterlife. Like retirement. Perfect retirement. Like you have to get through. This oasis. Your your job <laughs> to, to hit the cruise yeah. as a retired You're going to cruise down the Nile. So it's fine that you're in customer support. Luxurious yacht. For 50 years. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Okay. Um, so I'm following. Exactly. So we, we get it, right? We, we understand what kind of this, this version of heaven or afterlife looks like. Um, and that's why, like, a big, uh, again, tying back to the body, that's why when Egyptians had these big grand burials in their tombs and their pyramids, they kept all their possessions with them because they needed all these resources to go on to the next life. So it's not like you just die, you're in a coffin, you're in the ground, your soul goes somewhere. It's like... You die, you're put in this elaborate tomb, and you're not just put there alone, you're put there with, like, (laughs) Megan. Sorry. You're put there with these fine clothes. You're put there with your nicest jewelry, amulets, gold, silver, like your finest oils for, for women, I guess even men too, but like your best cosmetics. Like, Cleopatra was known for having like her very specific cosmetics. Like, you'd be buried with that, your furniture, your pets even. Would their pets be alive? I think you had to kill your pets. That sounds awful, but I'm pretty sure that's what they did is like if I'm, I don't know, a 40-year-old pharaoh and I I die one day, 
they would just like kill your dogs and be oh like God. your dogs are buried with you which is very very Actually, sad but fun fact what we learned through this oh is yeah we always assume that egyptians are more attached to cats and they love cats not so they actually love dogs more than cats yeah we um, so the egyptologist told us we personally ref- we referenced this egyptologist just now um but colleen dr colleen what's her last name I don't know, but Willis? her Instagram is uh, vin- the vintage, vintage Egyptologist. Egyptologist, I think. We should know super that. Super cool. Um, very, yeah. very cool lady. Uh, but she and her husband are both like hardcore Egyptologists, and that's what they live for. They have a very big following with all of that. They're on National Geographic. Like, they're in tons of places. They also have this like 1920s aesthetic about oh, them. Like, it's very it. Death on the Nile. Love that. Awesome. Love, love that. it. So, um, so she explained like everyone thinks that they're obsessed with cats because you see a lot of cats in the imagery. But like, in fact, if you walked into an Egyptian's house and you met one of their cats, They'd be like, hi, this is cat. Like, this is my cat. They just call it cat. Like, breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> yeah. This is cat. Whereas if they had dogs, they would have human names for the dogs. They're like, oh, this is George. This is Steve. This is, you Penny. know. Penny. This is whatever. Like, you, you had names for the dogs. So they did regard dogs in a bit more higher status than cats. Um, and there's this whole myth that, like, cats are the guardians of the underworld and cats are so important. And maybe they did appreciate cats, but... Actual Egyptologists say that they acknowledge dogs more as like, I don't know, I guess more important companions, possessions, companions. Yeah. So so, so uh, for everyone who is a cat lover over a dog lover, just know that you are incorrect. <laughs> you are incorrect. The very first like form of humanity. You can't of say civilization that. We appreciate cat lovers. Dogs as the number one. Mm, just leaving them. And then we just lost 500 followers. We just had a big, yeah, a lot I'm of people sorry, hate I, all, you. I love all animals. We They're love, all We equal. love all animals. They're all equal. Okay, we don't discriminate mind. against animals. Um, but in, in addition to that, they would also have like weapons and stuff preparing them for this big journey. Oh, that, I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, because like the afterlife was seen as a tumultuous journey. Like just to get to your next nice stage of afterlife, you had to go through the underworld first Mm -hmm. and the underworld was like this dark adventure and sometimes like in certain uh, religious texts they said you had to face as many as like a thousand different gods oh my god to get through that journey and it was kind of funny because what what i read said like just to get through different bosses i'm like like a video game (laughs) different deities bosses gods until you get to bowser until you get to final bowser like they they would be like okay like What's my name? And so before death, a lot of people would memorize the names of gods to be like, oh, you're Osiris, you're Horus, you're whoever. What a waste. I wonder if they were mad when they, like... Got rid of all the gods. If, not when, if, Mm. like, they die and none of that happened, they're just like, wait, I just studied all these names for nothing i mean maybe you did who knows like it's like the sat every culture has their own (laughs) situation sure like we all believe in something different every culture is a little different nobody knows we we all have some version i think of afterlife or what what that journey looks like um but so so a lot of uh, certain scrolls say that you have to go through again as many as a thousand different gods but the but once you are kind of at the end stages of that journey, you go on to this final judgment to be granted access to like your pure afterlife. And this is a cool story, which I've known for like a while. It was nice kind of rereading it when we were researching this episode. Mm-hmm. So the god Anubis would actually put your heart on a scale, like a golden weighted scale thing. And he would weigh your heart against a feather. And if you left, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you. I'm already losing. <laughs> you're like, shit, <laughs> feather. Um, if, if your heart weighed as much as the feather, it meant you were like pure of heart and you didn't have all these dark deeds and you would be passed on to the god Osiris who would grant you access to the afterlife, like the heaven, the supreme Egypt, whatever you want to call it, the cruise, the retirement, cruise on the Nile. <laughs> um And if your heart was heavier than the feather, then it would weigh the scale down and it immediately would be devoured by another god. I believe it was uh, uh, the goddess Amit. And she would eat your heart. Oh. And then you would cease to exist because you didn't make it to the next phase of life. God, they were so violent. I know. So that's how they kind of, not scared people, but yeah, like kind of convince you to leave, lead a good life. Be so good. Your, your, heart, your heart wouldn't get eaten. Karma's a cat. And fun fact, I'm going to show you this right now. Ooh. 
for our seven thousand YouTube for watchers. all of our YouTube people. I bought this scroll in ancient Egypt. Not ancient. Modern day you Egypt. Weren't a, were you with Miss Frizzle and her bus I was, and I went was. back in I'm going to open it. Listen to that good sound. It smells like Egypt. Does inside. it smell like Egypt? Actually, kind of. Smell like, it smells like a pool. It smells like chlorine. It does. Well, it's papyrus paper. Oh, okay. So. I should put my red wine. I don't trust myself with that around Megan this. spills. So spill this things. I bought, um, gosh, 2009 in Egypt. And, Archaic. Uh, it's so old. Vintage. <laughs> oh, my God. It smells hold this like other chlorine. Side. It smells like a pool. That's, oh. That's what do you want me to hold? Just hold that side. Do you side. trust me to touch this? Yeah. Wow. And we're unraveling the papyrus scroll. And so this is actually the journey of the afterlife. You didn't know Elizabeth really likes Egyptian history. I do. And this is my name uh, in, like, ancient Egyptian kind of put on that side. So they Painted. personalized it. And it is like a painted papyrus, and it shows the journey of Anubis guiding you through the afterlife, um, where they like weigh your heart. Hold it up a little higher, but where they where they weigh your heart, and then it's either demolished or you get passed on to Osiris, who grants you access into wow. the eternal afterlife, which is where you want to be. So this is really cool. I still need to get it framed. I'm probably gonna put it in this office somewhere. You I don't really know. do need to. Yeah. So stay I tuned. Will, I, this motivates me more to actually edit the YouTube video so that people can see this. There you go. You should see it. You should get a picture of it too. And it is very it's, cool. It's, it's so, very neat. Anyway, oh, there was another. We'll do it after. There's a. No, I know. Piece of, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. So protect it for all it's worth. So papyrus. Very cool afterlife, really cool story. Okay. Um, so so that's the long and the short of it, but they really tried to convince people that their actions on earth meant something and that the dead were to be very respected because their body can't be desecrated. It has okay. to go into the afterlife strong. And the biggest pyramids are for the kings. The smaller pyramids yes. are usually for the queens, unfortunately. I have been inside a queen's pyramid. I talked about this on our last Egyptian episode. And I even laid in a... Hole in the ground where there was a queen's sarcophagus. Were you allowed to do that? No. Mm. You pay people. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> similar to what we're talking well, about Similar to what right we're talking now. about. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of gold. There's a lot of jewels. There's a lot of valuables. Yes. And for perspective, King Tut's tomb mm -hmm. had roughly $750 million worth of gold and jewels the sarcophagus itself, which is inflated in gold and jewels, is worth $13 million. Yeah. Like in today's money, but right. still. And the to so the total wealth is three quarters of a billion dollars, usually, in these tombs. That is extremely tempting. There's a lot of people who need money in a Egypt. A lot of people so, think, you know what, my heart doesn't really need to be that late. I'm okay taking this. You're probably thinking, where is this episode going as far as mass executions? Mass in the sense of they're just, oh, this, we, is, a, this is a trend. We get there. We're talking about the tomb robbers. Tomb robbers. Tomb raiders. Yeah. Yeah. So this episode is dedicated to all the tomb raiders out there because none of these tombs are undisturbed. There, it's not like you can walk into a tomb today where all the wealth is there. Pretty quickly after someone died and was buried with all their wealth, the wealth was taken. It was taken. Mm -hmm. So this was a daily occurrence of having court cases of the tomb robbers. Yes. And you almost want to think maybe it's just the, the low life, it's just the peasants, it's just the really poor people mm -hmm. who are looking to, to gain riches, but it, it's not. Not only was it all classes, it was almost primarily the middle to upper class. And yeah. I'm going to explain why. So I'm going to go into the who, what, when, where, why of who was robbing the tombs. Mm -hmm. So the who, primarily the nobility for a few reasons. Right. One, they knew how to get in. <laughs> like they were privy to the plans of the, the crypts yep. being sealed. Sometimes it was the officials who mm -hmm. had access to the records, so they knew where the pre where the where the kings and the queens were being buried. The priests. It was even the priests who had just done the ritual. Mm -hmm. So for all of the facade of the afterlife and everything, and we'll get into that a little bit more. It's the priests who are doing it. <laughs> it's the builders who are doing it. The builders who just built the tomb. They're like, if I can seal it up, I can unseal it. Exactly. Um, it's the security. It's the people working there. They're called like guards of the necropolis. Ne necropolis meaning like 
you know, place where the dead things yep. are. And a lot of times it was because they could really get paid off well. Mm-hmm. So even if it was the lower class, that's why I'm saying it's really all classes were involved. Right. Even if it was someone from the lower class, because perhaps they met, they might have been the masonry or the builder and they have the tools for it. They know that with the amount of riches that they're going to get inside of it, mm-hmm. they can pay off the the guard. They can pay off the officials. They can, even if they get arrested, they could easily pay themselves out of jail. Like, they are so freaking loaded. Yeah. Think of $750 million worth of inside money. of that tomb in e- Egyptian currency. Mm-hmm. Um, so so with that, that, that's kind of who. It was kind of everyone and anyone and their mom, evidently. And usually teams of people, too. Yeah, they had up to 10 people working in, like, a little crew of robberies. Mm-hmm. Because it, it wasn't just a one-person show. Like I said, you need to know who, who the people who know how to get in, yeah. um, where it is, and then even beyond that, the way that they would pretty much launder their their oh. riches and their golds, mm-hmm. they would need craftsmen who could melt down the gold to resell it, right. disguise what it really was. You don't want to just show like, hey, cool, I just like got this thing that says like property of King Tut. You want <laughs> to be, disguise it. yeah, you got to mm-hmm. disguise it. You have to melt it down, create it into something new. This is like Ocean's Eleven. It really is. Slash Ocean's Eight because the girls repurpose all the jewelry. It was a whole underground. So then they would, it was totally work worth the one hour walk into a neighboring city Mm -hmm. um, to go to their market and then start exchanging once they had these disguised goods and they couldn't really trace back where it was coming from. They couldn't prove anything. Right. But obviously people were getting arrested. It was this entire underground system of tomb robbery. Exactly. (laughs) It's kind of mind blowing. So basically as soon as the tombs were creative since the dawn of time, and I think maybe the earliest cases go back to like, 3000 BCE again, like, you know, again, since the first tombs, there's the first tomb robberies. Sure. So, um, people aren't stupid. (laughs) No. And so as soon as they realize, okay, this is becoming a trend. As soon as we bury someone, they're dug up and all their like shit's taken from them. Um, they start to enact like in the early dynastic period, like these different ways of either hiding the tombs themselves, whether it was again, secret doors, like, bolted sealed like trap like uh booby traps i well booby traps are like it's actually debated like in the Mm. historical community i hate to indiana jones i know i hate i hate to burst anyone's bubble i think there are some documented cases of like like coated things with these strong powders and like different chemicals so like if you were to touch something it could like burn your hands or like poisonous dust would be left in the air like there were certain things like that but it wasn't like indiana jones where like the walls are closing in on you things Dang are it. you know spikes it's, are coming down yeah spikes on are coming like up from the floorboards there might, like, like snakes in there too there, there might be snakes it's debated we don't like snakes. Snakes, it's were, snakes it's always snakes it's always snakes always snakes <laughs> had to be snakes um so so there's like some debated cases on that. The one thing that may have happened was like they had decapitation wires. So if you did like enter an area you weren't supposed to be in, maybe there was like a clean wire that would like swipe through the room at like shoulders height so you could potentially be decapitated. I think that's the only oh. one that people think might be real. But a lot of, of these... that movie Ghost Ship. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that movie. That was a great... Uh, it's okay. everyone dies in the first our, scene. Our one and only tangent, because we went on way too many tangents last episode. Eh. Uh, best opening scene ever is Ghost Ship. Everyone gets decapitated <laughs> with one wire. Anyway. Beheaded. Um, beheaded. Good one. So, Hashtag beheaded. So, again, like, debated which booby trap mechanisms were actually used. But the ones that are confirmed to be used are just, like, piling up of rocks, like, very secret rooms, maybe an antechamber that looked like a tomb was already robbed when the real chamber lied beyond. Like, there was all these different methods for just seeming, uh, it's like trying to get grave robbers from, like, stopping what they're doing. Like, oh, shoot, they are, this was already robbed, you know, or we can't mm-hmm. get to this. Um, and they even started to put, like, punishments written on the the tombs themselves. So there were certain ones, like, there's a curse of Osiris, which this is, again, debated in the historical community. But there is a phrase that says, death comes on wings to he who enters the tomb of the pharaoh. Some historians say, yes, that was, like, an inscription. It's the curse of Osiris. Some say, no, that's totally Hollywood. Like, that, that never happened. Mm-hmm. 
But there might have been curses about like, if you enter, your family will be cursed or you'll be cursed with snakes or alligators or famine, like kind of the plagues of Egypt Yeah, like if thing. you go into the water, the alligator will get you. If you're on land, the snake will get you. Like, yeah, like certain little things. So they did definitely have like things written, you know, to, to deter people from just going in and getting whatever they want. But did it scare them? I mean, obviously they were Hell still no. doing it anyways. It's $750 million. <laughs> Which is what's, I think this is what was so funny with about this whole story is that we always just believe that every single ancient Egyptian was so paranoid about the like, afterlife and everything that Elizabeth had just set up of why you need to have this light as a feather heart. Mm-hmm. And yet they're just like, I don't care. There's a, millions of whatever, you know, whatever they're, they yeah. didn't have, it was a cashless society at that time. Like they didn't necessarily have, they didn't have currency. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously they want those riches. Um, yeah. It actually had, there's, and there's actually a variety of reasons of why some people were a part of these robbery camaraderies <laughs> these gangs uh, the obvious is just to get the money right like mm-hmm. it's a lot they, they want to get rich they can resell it right um sometimes the nobility would go for it because they thought that they were almost offended that their relatives were just bearing away all their riches when they mm-hmm. felt like it was their inheritance right so they felt like it was their own right to go and, and get what was their great uncle whatever <laughs> <laughs> Um, that that was one reason. Yeah. Um, one was because even if they were nobility, they wanted it for themselves for their own afterlife. Yeah. So they wanted to make sure their own tomb had it, which is ironic. It's like, okay, don't you realize it's just going to also get stolen? But I know. It's sure. kind of silly to be like, I want that for my burial, even though we know bur- like burial robberies are so common. Yeah. Um, and I will say, too, like people had to be very careful with what they did steal because um, – Usually, like in Egyptian society, it was a belief that whoever disturbed the tomb first, that's the only person that's punishable. Oh. So, yeah, this is interesting. But like if, if like say I went first and I took five items, if you go, it doesn't like it doesn't matter. Like, cause I'm already the one who should be punished. I'm the one that disturbed the tomb. I disturbed the dead. Like, you know, I was the one to desecrate the tomb. Interesting. So, Oftentimes, because these tombs are kind of hard to get to, small, you, you saw you can just leave in one trip with the entire loot of the chamber. Like, you have to maybe go with whatever you can carry or, you know, pass it along to a friend who puts it on a mule. Like, there's not, you can't take, again, $750 million worth of stuff and take it in one trip. So usually some people would wait for, like, the first person to disturb it because once they did... You could go in. You would have no afterlife ramifications. You wouldn't be considered oh, a thief. that's interesting. Yeah. I thought it was just because they honestly couldn't hold everything. Yeah, I mean, both. Like, it's a little bit of both. So the um, person who went in first really they're didn't the give ones, a shit about, like, yeah, they're the ones any of that, the superstition of their afterlife. Right. Like, they might be the ones hired for the most money to get to be the first ones mm. to disturb it. And a lot of times these tombs would just be picked over over series of robberies because not everyone can get it. Or because, again, they were afraid of being that first person to touch the loot. So King Tut's tomb was actually a really good example of this. Mm. So to start, King Tut's tomb actually wasn't discovered until 1922 because it was under a ton of debris and Quote, unquote, discovered whatever. by like modern historians. Yeah, um, I think I wrote down his name is... Carter. Yes. I don't know his first name, but I think the last name is Carter. I'm, on the, I'm reading these names. I'm like, Marie Henry, I'm on Don Baptiste that's my first. Yeah, Howard Carter, 1922. Okay. Um, but before that, between, it's always weird to me in BC times because it's backwards. So between 1500 to 1300 right. BCE, mm-hmm. um, it was actually robbed at least twice. Okay. The first time, they only robbed the annex and the antechamber. So before the actual tomb. Yes. Mm. And then the second time, they basically raided the entire tomb. Mm. And it took a total of eight hours to get as much as they could. I don't know how they, they know the time and whatnot. But like, who keep a track maybe of Maybe someone tested it. They have a little timer. <laughs> like, okay, go, George. It was Howard. Yeah. I, I don't know. But but I was kind of reading up on the on the robbery of that. Mm. Um, they obviously went for the, the jewelry and the, the precious stones first. But they did find a scarf that was full of gold rings that was left over. Mm. And there's really no reason. They're like, why did they leave these rings? Did, right. One theory was... The curse. A, the curse. <laughs> the mummy came up in smoke and was coming at them. 
Uh, no, but more likely is they were just in a really big hurry, so they wouldn't always complete the whole thievery because right. what we're going to get into next, mm. a little bit, well, I got one other topic first, but the the risks of what they were facing. Totally. And um, if they were about to get caught, you just run. <laughs> just run. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't care. And, and again, like we mentioned this briefly, but like Egypt, Egypt was a cashless society. They didn't have a currency until about 500 BCE when mm-hmm. the Persians came. So a lot of what they did with their goods was they would like barter in the marketplace. And guess what? If you're like, oh, I have this ancient gold scepter like you can't really just go around the marketplace with something like that because someone could turn you in so fast they know exactly where it came from they're yeah. like i'm pretty sure that was ramsey's yeah Maybe exactly I'll so return it <laughs> you can't just be like can i exchange this for 50 sacks of rice i have ramsey's scepter yeah. so i accidentally came across it exactly so you got it be- was inherited to me and i'm a peasant <laughs> Weird. So you have I don't to be, know, they have peasants? What would they call them? Slaves? What probably. Did they, what did they have? I'm sure they had Lower peasants. Lower class? Yeah, I don't know what you would call them. I think peasants is a safe word because we don't know what they Loin were called. Loincloth people. Oh my god, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Megan is a classist. <laughs> Just kidding. Clearly, I'm an Egyptian classist. <laughs> no, but um, so you, you had to be very careful with who you traded with. And that's why Megan mentioned like you might have to go to special like craftsmen who would go and like take the names of the pharaohs off the item or melt something down into something else like you kind of had to be repurposing these things so you couldn't just go around being like i stole this who you don't want to be seen you don't want to be like the yeah. guy with too much stuff like yeah suspicious you have to right? be very careful you have to go maybe outside of town or maybe with the people you trust the most to like handle it you know uh, tenderly so yeah. you can't just like steal and be rich you have to steal and be cunning you know yep. you have to understand what to do with this new wealth that you acquired um, so it's a, it's not like as simple as like, oh, I robbed and now I have this stuff. Now I'm just, I, I bought a, now a temple. I have, now um, I have my yacht on the Yeah, Nile. you're just sitting with your water slide on Cuscotopia. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like that reference. Uh, so this was clearly becoming a problem. It was mm-hmm. becoming more and more frequent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was especially frequent during times of war when people were especially poor. Uh, yes. Even when like the like government. Like between big pharaohs. Yes. Yeah, if the government really wasn't, didn't have it together, if they weren't quite centralized and there was anarchy happening, it was more and more prevalent. Right. So they were tasked, they as in the government mm-hmm. and the pharaohs, they were being tasked with how do we start controlling these tomb robbers? Because it was funny the the pharaohs, of course, like they wholeheartedly believed that all these people are being cursed not only the people being, not only people robbing were being cursed, mm-hmm. but they believed that the kings and queens and those who were being buried, their afterlife was being disturbed as well with having their their possessions taken away and their bodies being disturbed. So they so they took it very personal. They're like, well, I need I I'm worried about my own afterlife, so mm-hmm. I, I need to really take care of this. Right. Um, I'm in Hotep. That's a name. I don't know if you pronounce it Imhotep. Em- but like in like in the mummy movie, one they of, pronounce Imhotep. Oh, one one of the pharaohs, the first. Mm-hmm. He commis- he was commissioned to solve this issue. And he called this he created a new village that he called the the place of truth. Mm-hmm. His theory was I'm going to create this village um pretty much isolated, get it away from the markets, um make it kind of hard to get to. Mhm. And I'm going to build my, my pyramids and my tombs. But the the locals, people living in this village, are going to be the builders. Right. So they're going to have a sense of loyalty because they are putting all of this blood, sweat, and tears and hard work into building everything. And they're getting paid from the state. They're going to they're gonna protect it. Yep. And mm-hmm. they're relying on these wages. Yes. So as long as everything is thriving and working as it needs to be, mm-hmm. they're getting paid. Everything's hunky-dory, right? <laughs> uh, sure. Perfect. Um, this, this village, because it was so isolated, it also relied on all the all of the deliveries coming from other villages, especially Thebes was the biggest one that was close by. Nearby. Even water. They relied on the Nile River to bring them their mm. goods, their food, their baskets, their water, everything that had to get transported. Their cosmetics. They were all a little bit in denial. Ooh, I like that. About what was going on. <laughs> hmm. Good one, Megan. Thank you. 
because, as, you know, as long as they bartered with crafts and all of this, everything was great. But also these builders, like I mentioned earlier, they're also the ones, if they can build it, they can break into it. Yeah. So what starts happening is there's a period of time actually during Ramsey III's mm, reign, reign where, for whatever reason, the shipments were late. Like, they weren't getting their, their goods. They weren't getting their shit from the, the ships. The people in this town. Yeah, the people in the, the place of truth, they weren't getting their water, their food. They were getting hungry. They are getting angry. Mm. They're in the middle of building these tombs. Mm -hmm. And we have, ladies and gentlemen, our very first worker strike. Ever. And they're like, we're over this. And they march into Thebes and they demand their pay. Ooh, I like that. So this is kind of the start of things breaking down. And it and that's when Ramses himself is realizing like, okay, this isn't working because now they're just angry. Mm -hmm. And it's more of a reason for them to want to break in and not, not care anymore about all this hard work because they almost... He thought that they would be loyal about it, but in the end, they were—they just felt like it was—they were more deserving to to get what they were working for. Right. It's like, well, this is ours, so we're kind of entitled to this too. And again, I will remind everyone: three quarters of a billion dollars. <laughs> Keep running on that seven hundred fifty million dollars in King Tut's. Tomb. We're not talking about like, oh, if I take the scepter, I get a hundred dollars. Like, this is great wealth. This is life-changing money. So this is a podcast about executions yes. and torture. Mm -hmm. This is what you came for. Oh, yeah. And this is what we're going to get into. Oh, yeah. So all of these robbers, and they, get, they start getting arrested. <laughs> they, they do. And again, like, it depends on when, where, who's the pharaoh, who's the mayor of the towns, right? Because certain tomb robbers got off because they paid the right people and maybe they vanished in the desert. Who knows? But... There are now, like, found papyrus scrolls of confessions of mm. tomb robbers who explained in detail what they did. And I think it also kind of speaks to the ease in which they did it. It's not just like, hey, I did this and I got away with it and it was sneaky and I'm a bad person. It was like, yeah, this is kind of routine. We do this all the like, time. This, like, why wouldn't we yeah. do this? And it kind of points to the fact that, like, yes, we have this grand story of the afterlife and the fear of the curses. But at the end of the day, this is... <sighs> Say it like that again. Curses. But at the end of the day, this is real life and people have real economic struggles and they want this wealth. They want to partake. They want to feel like they're yeah. owed something in this life. How much life. do they really believe then in the afterlife exactly. if they don't care about the repercussions that they've forced upon them of exactly. Um So we're going to read a little bit about um, something that's actually documented on a historical papyrus. Mm. Real Egyptian. Is it yours? Is it papyrus that you Mine's from 2009. I think this one is name from. on it? Like, Are you the robber and it's your confession? I am the tomb raider. <laughs> Um, this is from Laura about Croft. like, <laughs> yeah, okay, shocking, <laughs> Elizabeth Blackcroft. Um, this is from like eleven thousand BC, roughly. This confession, and I, you know, I'll try to paraphrase some of it, but I'll read what he wrote. We went to rob the tombs, as is our usual habit, <laughs> and we found the pyramid tomb of King Sombekeshaf. <laughs> Definitely oh. said that right. Um, this tomb being unlike the pyramids and tombs of the nobles, which we usually rob. We took our copper tools and forced a way into the pyramid of this king, though it's inner, or through its innermost part. We located the underground chambers and taking lighted candles in our hands went down. We found the, guy, the god lying at the back of his burial place, and we found the burial place queen Nakubas, his consort beside him it being protected and guarded by plaster and covered with rubble. We opened the sarcophagi in their coffins and, there, and found the noble mummy of the king equipped with the sword. There were large numbers of amulets and jewels of gold on his neck, and he wore a headpiece of gold. The noble mummy of the king was completely covered in gold, and his coffins were decorated with gold and with silver inside and out and inlaid with precious stones. We collected the gold that we found on the mummy and the god uh, of the god, including the amulets and jewels which were on his neck. We set fire to their coffins. After some days, the district officers of Thebes heard that we had been robbing in the West, and they arrested me and imprisoned me in the office of the mayor of Thebes. I took the 20 debon of gold that represented my share and gave them to Kapmope. <laughs> mm. Sure. 
The district scribe um, of the landing quay of Thebes, he released me and I rejoined my colleagues and they compensated me with the share again. Nice. And so I got into the habit of robbing tombs. (laughs) There you heard it, folks. Yeah. And that is actually translated from exactly what was on the papyrus. Right. Like, he's just so careless. He's just so, like, nonchalant. Like, well, yeah, like, they arrested me, but I just kept doing it. It's like, dear diary, today Mm. I robbed another tomb. (laughs) (laughs) They caught me again. And I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Again, yeah. So, So, yeah, all that that said, though, but but, but they did get pretty violent. Yeah. So, again, we still have pharaohs in charge. We still have guards protecting the necropolises, necropoli. I don't know how you say that know. plurally. Um, but they're still they're still trying to make this big theatrical, you know, feature of like what happens if you do get caught as a grave as a grave robber, a tomb raider, because they're still wanting to again protect some of the wealth, like maybe if just for themselves, they don't they don't want to make this this big free for all. Mm-hmm. So what do they do in any instance in society where you're trying to instill fear? Torture, torture, kill, and execute, murder. That's right. So when they would torture, mm-hmm. they would first try to get a confession. Yes, as people do. You're right. They norm for this was a trend. They would um, beat their feet. <laughs> like okay, <laughs> sure. That bring hurts, it on, Megan. Bring it on. They would slap the the little daylights out of their feet in their hands. <laughs> they would beat them with rods. Okay, beat with rods is like a bigger thing than I just slapping like, your feet I, around. I feel like every version we read of this one is said that they would beat with rods on the back, on like their feet and hands. Yeah. It sounds simple, but I'm sure it was probably a lot more horrific. Well, they're probably like crushing the individual bones of your toes and fingers. I don't think it's as simple as like slapping your hands around. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but a step higher, they would also sometimes either threaten or actually follow through. And this might just be the end of their sentence. Mm-hmm. They might amputate their hands mm-hmm. or their nose. Or their ears. Or their ears. Right. I feel like hand-wise, it's so that you can't, like... Steal again. I, I just think of Aladdin when they're exactly. like... Exactly. kind of almost got her hand cut off. It's like the mark of a thief. Like, you can no longer thieve if your hands are cut How off. How much did that freak you out as a child watching oh. Aladdin? She almost got her hand cut off? Deeply. <laughs> Every I time. I nightmares over that. I was that. like, this might be the time where she loses her hand. Oh, God. Yeah. One Disney character is like, well, I tried to take the bread. N- named Jasmine, poor thing. Um, no, so it was really obvious. So they'd walk around town and then all the other, because obviously everyone else was also robbing, they'd be like, fucking George got caught. What a See loser. His hand? <laughs> no, I, I almost, I almost don't, it was supposed to be a form of obviously like embarrassment and right. no, and, and you, you don't have your nose. Right. That's inconvenient to you. But like, also I felt like everyone else was also doing this. So they're just like, who got caught? <laughs> Exactly. Who's the loser who got caught? And they would also do public floggings, too. So if it wasn't enough to have, like, your hands cut off, <laughs> you would also just be publicly flogged to, again, be more of a spectacle for society. Mm. Um, but if, again, Gross. and I feel like that was more so, again, torture and not so much punishment. Like, yes, punishment because you were a thief, but maybe if you didn't have strong enough evidence, it was more yeah. of like a torture mechanism. It also varied, though, on how extreme the thievery the heist was. Right, based on how much loot you took. If it was, If they were repeat offenders... If they were going for King Tut, if they were going for some big loot, then that would have been a higher um, form of punishment versus like, I'm new to this. I just wanted this sock I found. <laughs> I don't think they sold. I don't know if they stole a sock. I just wanted King just, Tut's sock. <laughs> but I think they didn't touch the gold, so <laughs> maybe they would just get like a little slap on their foot. Maybe they wanted a little mummified cat. We don't know. <laughs> I just wanted their dead animal. <laughs> Uh, but they could also be sentenced to death. Exactly. So if you robbed someone of great significance or if you took enough of the stuff, you were sentenced to usually one of two executions. And these executions, I think, surprised me because I always assumed like kind of standard, maybe Tudor execution or even French style. I assumed like, eh. You just behead the person. Which sometimes, I did read they would sometimes decapitate, but that's not the fun way. No. That's not the... 
What's the more theatrical way? Well, if I were an Egyptian Mm -hmm. and I was a higher up Egyptian Mm -hmm. who is afraid that my afterlife body is not going to survive. Yes. I would want to make sure that person's afterlife is also ruined. Their body does not survive. And so there are two do ways do to that? do that. Mm-hmm. One would be burning yeah. at the stake. Yeah. So if they were burned at the stake, they would just have ashes. They would no longer have their physical body. And they'd be burned alive, to be clear. Obviously. Mm-hmm. And without a body, their body cannot... Because they thought that like their actual body went into the afterlife. Right. So they assumed if you're just ashes... You can't go to the afterlife. You're just floating. You're just nothing, which is worse than hell. Like that's right. Well, not that they had hell, but you know, they're whatever you said when the like the underworld, the limbo. Yeah, like yeah, it's a nothingness. It's an abyss. Yeah. So, and, so there's obviously like the, the the pain of burning at the stake. Right. But the repercussions of that again is supposed to be bigger. Right. And, and to go back to just like the actual tomb itself. They also sealed the tomb, not just for the sake of, like, uh, preventing the grave robbers, but also so that uh, the people that were buried in there could have the privacy of taking their body into the afterlife. Like, sometimes they would even create, like, I think there were arches or doorways where you were supposed to pass through on your way Mm, to the afterlife. The golden arches. Yeah, it was... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you almost had this, like, perfect setting of, like, here's all your earthly possessions, here's the doorway you walk through when you... Kind of not rise from the dead, but when you begin your underworld journey, and they thought this was a very physical, real thing that you did. So a burning meant you don't walk into the underworld. You're done. Like any chance you had at your soul even being weighed against that feather, like doesn't happen. Unfortunate, yeah, to say the least. And what's another way to make sure that the body doesn't go anywhere? Impalement. We've talked about this before. Vlad, Vlad the Impaler episode. Look it up. We never did a Vlad the Impaler, did we? <laughs> Megan! The Blood Countess. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Look it up. I'm. Yes. <laughs> I know the Blood Count. Okay. Anyways, impalement was mm-hmm. another important type of execution because I don't know why they thought this, but for whatever reason, they thought if your body was impaled, it would forever stay in the. It, where it was impaled. Your like, soul would stay at the place of execution. It was stuck there? Like, because it got... Yeah, because again, like, they they, would, t- they tied your soul to the physical being. So if, you, if your soul and your body weren't united upon death, you couldn't go to the afterlife. So if you died, like, by impalement, your body's stuck there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally stuck there on a spike. Like, you know, impaled. Oh, I understand. It can't go anywhere. So your soul your soul, your is, soul also is impaled into your body and it's going to just stay in your body exactly. forever. So wherever you die, the place of execution mm. is where you stay forever. Because you're not a mummy in a sarcophagus in a tomb where you could potentially rise again and walk into the afterlife. You're impaled. You're literally stuck. Well, shit. I have some more information on impalement, not oh. just specific to the Egyptians, but impalement in general. Like as impalement a form of executions. executions. Yeah. Um, there was several ways to impale someone. <laughs> the first was, uh, well, the forms that they would use, first of all, was either a stake, a pole, a spear, a hook. Um, and there was different types. Can you say that word? Because I, can, I can't say, say it. Longitudinal. Thank you. <laughs> there was a longitudinal impalement. Don't nice. give me that look. I did it. <clears throat> Long longitude. Is that word? Say long. Longitudinal. Longitudinal. <laughs> I can't say that word. Longitudinal. Longitudinal. Okay. There's a longitudinal impalement, nice. which is when the spear is going up along the length of the body. So I'm like thinking, this way. I'm thinking butthole to Oh my God. Throat. Like up. Megan. Up. <laughs> you go up it. Okay. And uh, there were benefits and cons to this. It could take either minutes, hours, or days for the person to die. Hmm. If they hit vital organs, that's a pretty nice, not nice, but pretty quick death. 
Um, but if they Oof. went along the spine, like they didn't hit the vital organs in the middle of your tummy, they just kind of like went up the butt and then through the back. Stop saying that. I can't. I can't. Well, how else are you going to describe it? I don't know. Not like that. This is not how we rehearsed it. Sorry. <laughs> okay, anyway, continue. Anyways, those could take days for them to die. Oh, gross. This kind of reminds me of like the breaking of the wheel situation the last bit. episode. Mm-hmm. There's also a transversal impalement, which okay. is not through the bum to your likings. It was through the torso. So they'd go horizontal. All right. This was a lot faster because you're very likely to hit a vital organ. Good. Kind of boring. I sign up for that one. I feel like that's the easy way out. Yeah. I don't know if you get a choice. <laughs> and how do they choose? Who chooses? Um, maybe the pharaoh. Maybe the execution. Actually, he didn't have time for this. This happened every day. Yeah, this was a <laughs> daily thing going on in Egypt. Right. There's also gaunching. Now, gaunching, I'm not sure if they did in Egypt. Okay. This could have been. Well, what is it? Gaunching is when they would hoist up the victim on like a hook or a rope or something. Oh. And they would hang. And underneath them, there was spikes, spikes or spears or hooks mm. or something, and then they would just drop them from a distance, okay. and then just like luck of the draw, and they're just gonna go and get some. Some of the imagery we saw in the documentaries did have that type of execution, yeah. so I feel like they that might have been shish-kebobbed. that might have been on the table. It's more of a transverse Is style. That a title uh, possibility a shish kebab. I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> um, anyways, those were the. T- I, w- I went deep into learning about impalement today. Um, I didn't realize there were different types of impalements. And I always think of if anybody watches American Horror Story. Oh, God. And the Roanoke season. Mm-hmm. And there were the teenagers who were all impaled. Ew. Like execution style. I think of that. So, like, you line up a bunch of Egyptian thieves and that's how it ends. You have to be pretty strong to get a spear inside of someone. Yeah, that would be a hard task. I think one of the hardest tasks as an executioner, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not just a hangman. You're not just a swordsman. Not just. You're, uh, throw, unless you're gaunching. Yeah. The setup would take a while. It's probably say, as much the, as the our impaling, setup. The impaling, I think, is a little tough. And I think tougher to stomach. It's not a firing squad. Like, there's just more involved, I think. It's mm. a little more grotesque. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we should point out, too, that executions weren't, that common in Egypt. It's not like when we talk about Tudor history or like French Revolution, it's not like executions were just like, oh, this monarch, this thing, this betrayal, this treason. It was like specifically reserved for like tomb robbers. So that's how like serious they took it, which is ironic because so many officials were paid off. So many pharaohs let this happen yeah. for their own gain. But again, when someone was egregiously caught or really need to be made an, made an example of, that's when they were just like, oh, well, like, let's just impale them publicly. It's like that wasn't that common in Egypt. And they were just giving the worst type of execution to these people that disrupted a tomb. So whether it's religious, whether it's political, whether it's economic, like who knows the right reason, but they made an extreme example of the people that were quote unquote caught, you know? I just think of the people who were trying to be sneaky with it. And like, you don't think all of a sudden this person has like their, like their little hut turned into like a, like they got it all remodeled. (laughs) I don't know. Like, what are they actually doing with this money? Are you asking what's the point of wealth in ancient Egypt? (laughs) No, I'm saying how does one inconspicuously become wealthy without making like their friends and neighbors suspicious? Like, wow, so-and-so now has some like pretty nice fancy clothes. Like It's not like like nowadays where you could just get rich off of Yeah, people can just get rich. Crypto or stock market or like. I don't know. How do you. Secret real estate. How do you inconspicuously become loaded in Egypt? Mm. Like what are you going to do? do with it you don't go on vacation i think we should you all ponder this you thought. don't all of a sudden become a pharaoh you don't like all of a sudden move into the palace because you are rich so i'm gonna be like where'd you get that it's like i just like i like, want to know what they did with this but what, what did they do with the riches it's like count of monte cristo where you just like appear as a foreign rich person oh you know, so oh, you like go aladdin. to like you go they, to like a new city or a lot of aladdin references in this well yeah it's you know middle <laughs> Kind of Middle Eastern, um, but I'm just—I don't know. In this day and age, it's not like you had Instagram where you tracked everyone's status. Maybe you just like reappeared in a Picked few years, and, and, and you somewhere. like had new outfits, and they're like, "Damn!" 
I don't know. Prince Ali. I'm left with a lot of questions, (laughs) but I very much like, I don't like, I was very much intrigued by their torture and execution methods for these types of crimes. And that's why we did this episode, folks. And if you don't like these kinds of episodes, then thank you for your feedback. (laughs) Then continue to like, subscribe. (laughs) Continue to (laughs) comment. Follow. Tell your friends. Provide. Um recommendations we've and got some good stuff we lined do, up for we the do, rest we're, of the we're saving some good ones we're exactly. saving some good ones but i think these ones are important because again like this can't be you know unnoticed by oh, history sorry. you have to you have to acknowledge these ones that maybe not a specific victim but a very specific type of execution yeah. for a very specific thing we have one person we have almond pump what's his name i don't know if he was executed he I, they said they don't know what happened to him but the guy the confession that you read Amin Ponifer. We have a person. So Yeah, we have a person. There's his name. But I'm pretty sure he got off because he just... Con- he, <laughs> he clearly was like, can I go now? <laughs> he continually robbed and just continued... Got, I've got some more robberies to, to pay people up. off. I you're, think he died a wealthy man. You're slowing me down here with this damn confession on papyrus. Probably had some nice outfits. Oh, Elizabeth Black. We... <laughs> How do you say that in Egyptian? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh... Oh, what's what did they say in Sex and the City too? Yeah, but I didn't speak Arabic. Say yes. No, what's it? What do they say in Sex and the City too? Shopping. You know, I don't. I don't know that. No, I don't. Hanji. All right, Elizabeth Black. <laughs> you say Elizabeth Black. Yes, Hanji. <laughs> Any final words? Not tonight. <laughs>